Howdy, folks. This is the Keychains Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Ryan. So, you are the only one who got to play last week. I know. It was glorious. That's not necessarily true. I did play, but not with you. That's true. You were missed. You were. So, how did it go? It was pretty good. Um, there were, uh, I think we only got, I think it was only three of us. That's right. Um, but we do know of a total of six people <laughs> that have at one point in time uh, shown up to our Tuesday nights and played. Um, one of them is you. Uh, so uh, that's fair. So it was, it was pretty good though. It was fun. We, uh, we played a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I was able to, so I have a, a, I have a deck named diesel Guildmaster of the covetous tunnel. Um, and it has uh, library access and reverse time and phase shift and arise in it. Uh, so I almost, almost got to do the the like master combo of using library access and then reverse time to flip my live or my deck into my discard pile and then use phase shift to play or play arise and get all of my cre- logos creatures out and play those into library access. I was I was the phase shift away. Um, but I at least got the library access into reverse time, and then I was able to draw library access off of that and play it again. So I was able to draw two cards per card. That was pretty sweet. Although I only was able to trigger that one time, and then I ran out of steam. Does that deck have like a key cheat in it? A what? A key cheat? Uh, it, it has the worst possible key cheat. It has uh, the darkness one. Oh, the key of darkness? Yeah, the one I've never, ever, ever been in a situation where I could have used. It's interesting with that deck too that you haven't pulled that off given how much amber like just through playing all of your cards how much amber control it gives you you know i should say i've been in situations where i could have used it but i've never had both had it available to me and had the ember to use it that's the that's the problem because you need 12 the odds of your opponent being at exactly zero ember are really really hard like i've kept notice because i i just have this like vendetta against this card's existence now because i've never been able to pull it off and so i've just been looking like when does my opponent ever have zero ember and it is a very very small amount of time where they have zero ember um and so not only do they need to have zero ember you have to have eight or more ember for you to do the cheap uh key of darkness we should probably probably describe what it does at this point okay so uh key of darkness is a shadows card um, when you play it, you forge a key at plus six current cost. If your opponent has no ember, forge a key at plus two current cost instead. So the vast majority of the time, you can cheat a key for 12 ember. Uh, and if your opponent, in the rare situation that your opponent has exactly zero ember, you can cheat a key out for eight, which, you know, that one's not bad. But it's just so rare for your opponent to be at zero when you're at eight. Most of the time, what I find happens is I get this card and I have the Ember, but then I'm just going to forge a key on my next turn anyway. So why would I pay 12 when I could just forge two keys across two turns? It depends on the situation that my opponent has going on, but most of the time, I'd rather just not spend the six. And I very rarely am in a situation where I have two keys and 12 Ember um, to be able to cheat that third key with this card. It's just out of all of the key cheating cards, this is by far and away the worst one. Yeah, it's it really requires the perfect storm of amber being on the table. Right. Uh, I've I have a couple of decks with it in it, and I've never seen a situation where I can control enough amber to to pull it off. Even 
even at like 12 like you said like it's just really hard card to, to pull off right and, and most of the time so the the only time in my mind anyway that it makes strategic sense to use a key of darkness when you've got 12 ember is if it's your third key um or if you're really worried about an opponent bait and switch or an opponent um you know too much to protect any of those cards where you uh steal ember or they will steal your ember so if you somehow maybe maybe you had you know six to eight ember and they miasmed you so you didn't get to forge your key so now you've got eight plus ember and now you you generate a little bit more you get yourself up to 12 at that point um it's worth doing the key of darkness for 12 because now they can't steal any of that ember and you get your key uh even if it's not your third key but mo- i i I haven't been in a situation where so the, the problem is you need to have all of that stuff working for you and you need to have key of darkness. Most of the time it's so hard to set that situation up that I just discard key of darkness or it's one of the first cards I archive because I can just take it back later down the road when I see that situation coming. Um, but I, I hate having it in my hand because 99% of the game, it, it will be useless. Um, yeah, I think, I think the big thing with it is to, is, is, a lot of houses do have key cheating, um, but if you look at like Untamed, where Untamed doesn't have a lot of ways to control Amber, but it has a lot of ways to generate Amber, having a common key cheat in that house is good because it it helps facilitate you that that house moving fast. Right. Uh, where Shadows has a lot of ways to steal and control Amber, so giving them a key cheat that doesn't have a significantly high cost to it like it, like the good thing about key of darkness is it rewards a player for playing shadows to the the way shadows would want to play like if you can too much protect or bait and switch and steal a bunch to get that cost down so you can forge at eight you can you can get that but i i feel like a lot of decks and i'm sure there are decks out there that can pull it off but i feel like a lot of decks just aren't equipped to to capitalize on that right and i i um i don't know i just don't like it (laughs) yeah no i i it's 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 intentionally rare like it's intentionally rare in that house because if it was but it's also intentionally bad i don't know it's just a bad no it's not it's not intentionally bad i i think well yeah i think it is intentionally bad no i don't i don't don't think i don't think it's intentionally bad i think obviously they made it intentionally inefficient because they don't want people just stealing keys but like you look at this and then you look at um the untamed one what's the untamed key charge key charge so key charge is an action just like this one and it lets you forge at plus one basically you you lose an ember and then you forge at the current cost so you need seven ember uh to forge a key and that is amazing that blows this one out of the water and like you said untamed doesn't have a lot of ways to steal ember but it has a ton of ways to generate ember and not only that it's not like it's going to be a house in a vacuum it could be with a shadows deck and so that the argument of oh well you know untamed can't do a lot of ember generation well it doesn't really matter it should i think that key charge is definitely um it's pushed it's more powerful than it should be it's way too efficient especially looking at something like key of darkness like key of darkness is just utter crap um I it's way too way too situational. I get the the forge a key at plus two current cost is fair. The plus six is ridiculous. Yeah, I 
I look at it this way. Like, there's another card in Shadows that is also printed at Rare called Finishing Blow. And it's an action. When you play it, it's destroy a damaged creature if you do steal one. And if you look at the rest of the kind of creature control that Shadows gives you, a lot of it is either through direct damage or it is bouncing. So, like, cards like Lights Out and Pawn Sacrifice, where even the ones that do damage there is a significant downside to them where so what i what i've seen with rarity in this game uh and and a lot of it's been substantiated in a couple of other like conversations but rarity doesn't necessarily mean good it just means it's giving you access to something that that house technically shouldn't not shouldn't have but would have a harder time no I will say it's a mechanic outside of the house, right? Or or it's something like I understand that there's a lot of ember stealing, ember control in shadows. And I, I get that cheating a key is dangerous in shadow. I get all of that. But this is they, they went over the line in terms of making it um, playing it safe. I think with key of darkness, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm completely wrong and I'm totally missing something, but I have key of darkness in I think literally every shadows deck I own, which is, I don't know, like four or five at this point. And I have never, I know it's really strange. It's like, it spites me. It's like, I think the first two decks I got, one of them had it. And I'm like, Oh, this card is crap. And then every deck after that is given me one because they're like, (laughs) you will love it. I, was thinking that with key uh, key abduction as well like i was like i don't i don't like this card but i keep <laughs> getting it so i don't know i am not on the key of darkness bandwagon not that anyone is necessarily i don't know how people feel about it maybe we'll have to throw something up on twitter asking hey I, what are your thoughts on key of darkness i think some people have have come out saying that they they don't like key of darkness i, I think it's pretty i think it's universally yeah. unwelcomed like I would rather not. I would rather not have a like. I, I would. I would place Key of Darkness with anything, any other Shadows card. You name it. I would rather have it over Key of Darkness. That's that's pretty fair. So, kind of just to to shift gears here a little bit. Uh, Fantasy Flight posted some art on their Instagram page, which is very interesting. Uh, I'm assuming that this is a, a preview to a card coming in the future what um, do you think so it could it could be a couple things it could be a uh it could be art for a future set um it could be art for some kind of promotional material it could be like a play mat it could be uh like a chains card um it could be uh i don't know it could be anything along those lines i mean if we look at some of the hashtags that are that they use for the card it's um key forge obviously dis house dis uh archon heart of the crucible yeah i I skipped a few that are irrelevant so what's weird yeah what's weird about this is that it's the hashtags are dis and house dis and the background is very very dis it's all that purple pink um motif black uh motif and the character that's depicted in the center of the art the almost the focal point is 100% 100% sanctum like no questions about it so you've got this 100% dis background 100% sanctum character but the only hashtags are dis so it makes me feel like if this is a card it's a dis card but like what is 
what is going on that there would be like a sanctum character so predominantly displayed in the center of it. I almost feel like this would have to be maybe an action and it's maybe it's going to be corrupting him or something. I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. So, so I don't know, like the comment that fantasy flight left with the image says, greetings. I bring bad tidings. So who knows? Like I, I'm excited to hear whatever yeah. this is going to be. It's kind of weird to speculate on it because like no one really knows what it's going to be. They usually do use card art as like a lot of the other like they they they're definitely great at, you know, recycling art through other things. So, yeah, if this was if this was a a playmat, I'd probably buy it. <laughs> it looks awesome. I don't think they would ever do custom art just for a playmat. They would totally do art that was going to be on a card and then use that on a playmat. That's just a waste to to pay for art and then only put it on a playmat that some people are going to see. I mean, just from a business perspective, it doesn't make any sense to use something other than card art. So we kind of originally pitched ourselves as a, like, casual players who have a competitive streak. Like, it's in our description. It's it's all over the place. Uh, And that's not changing. Uh, But we... We did realize something that I think we'd like to to kind of focus on today. And a lot of it is this idea of like, you're listening to us and you have friends that you want to get into this game. Uh, so what we wanted to do is kind of put together uh, something to help your friends understand the game with, you know, when you're giving them the, that elevator pitch, like, hey, you know, we've you know, this is this cool game that I've been playing. You know, if you want to learn more about it, you know, you can come listen to this or whatever. Uh, so we're going to gonna do like a back to basics episode where we kind of explain some things about the game and, and how to play it and then clarify some things that you might run into in the future that you don't really know like or, or just something that you might be confusing or, you know, a question that you might enter into uh, so we want to make sure that we can we explain the game at a high level for people, but also clarify some gotcha moments that you might see while you're playing the game. Right, because there's a lot. Whenever you're learning any game for the first time, there's a lot that you learn like right up front. You remember the basics. You remember how things go. We want to point out some of the little, like Steve said, the gotchas, the the things that you know you're not going to remember your first time through, and then your second time through, you maybe have completely forgotten about them, and now you're playing wrong. So. We want to call attention to some of those or maybe even if you've played a few games um these might come in handy as little bits that you might already be doing wrong or might not have been aware of yeah so it, it could be a situation like again there's hopefully something for everybody in this episode uh we want to try to and, and maybe you know and if we we miss something and you catch it and you want to like mention it to us please do like we'll make this like a back and forth kind of dialogue if if, if need be yep uh, but hopefully what we can do is we can get in front of a lot of the issues that you could run into in a game to make your learning this game a little bit easier. And what this what this isn't going to do is it's not going to literally teach you how to play. We're not going to go line by line through the rule book. We're not going to teach you every in and out of the rules. Um, definitely go read the rule book. Find someone that can teach you how to play or watch videos. There's a bunch of videos on YouTube. Um, where people show you how to play the game 
just listening to people describe how to play a game is not going to do it for you unless i i don't know maybe some people can learn that way i definitely cannot i need to actually have my car the cards in my hand to uh to learn how to play it um but we will at least go over the basics almost like an elevator pitch of how the game works um as a breakdown so that you're at least familiar with how the game works yeah and even even having said that like even if you get taught by a friend on how to play go uh, it, the rule books are free on the website if you just scroll to the bottom of the website uh the keyforgegame.com and then go to the very very bottom there's a section there that just says rules if you click on it it gives you the quick start rules which i would just ignore those don't bother uh <laughs> the the actual rules and then it gives you all the tournament information so if you do decide that this is a game you really like to play and you want to get involved in the tournament scene in your at your local game store you have access to all those right there so that way you won't show up and be like i didn't know this having said that what is keyforge uh and the answer to that question is is keyforge is a a card a collectible card game where the decks are all pre-made for you using a specialized algorithm to generate the decks so they are not random. Uh, that That's one thing that kind of gets misconstrued a lot is the decks are randomly generated. No, they actually have an algorithm they're going through to they're going through and changing over time. Like I've even learned recently that they're changing the algorithm in between printings. Uh, so over time, you're going to see, uh, you know, how the decks are being constructed being changed up over time which is super cool but but there is logic behind it it's not just a a random mess of cards that are just getting thrown into a pack and you're gonna end up with something completely unplayable with every deck that you purchase that's not how it works um you're going to definitely have decks that are maybe are less efficient or you just might not understand how the deck was constructed and in why the, the what its play style is but ultimately the decks are there's intelligence behind how the decks are being constructed. Right, you're never going to have a deck that has zero creatures. I've I've had decks with houses that have close to zero creatures, though. See, I think there's a minimum, but yeah, there is a minimum. So, with that being said, each deck has split between three houses. Uh, we won't go into all the names of the houses. It'll be fairly obvious uh, what those are. Um, as you're kind of going through houses are kind of like factions if you want to think of it that way they're, they're just different if you're familiar with other card games like magic they're like the different colors um or uh if you i don't know i can't think of any other card games <laughs> but yeah they're fair the houses are basically factions yeah oh i mean like you could even use netrunner if you want to stick to fantasy flight stuff like netrunner like the decks are have factions in those too so that's true. Uh, so it's similar to that. Um, so your deck is going to have 36 cards in it, uh, 12 per house. Uh, and the objective of the game to win, is, or the objective of the game is to generate enough of a resource called Amber to forge three keys. Once you do that and you end your turn, or actually at the moment you forge the third key, you win. Yep. Um, you need, in order to forge a single key, uh, you need six ember. I pronounce it ember. It's it's spelled A-E-M-B-E-R, and some people pronounce it amber. Some people pronounce it ember. It's the same thing. I'm I'm in house amber. I'm in, I'm definitely amber. I mean, if you think about how ether or aether is pronounced, it could be a amber. Amber. <laughs> I don't. You know what? I don't like this. I'm just sticking with amber. Yeah, I think you pick a side and stick to your side, and never the twain shall meet. 
so regardless, uh, you need six ember uh, in order to forge a single key. You can only forge one key on each of your turns, sort of. As we talked about at the top of this episode, uh, there are uh, methods by which you can forge keys outside of the forge key step. And we'll go over the steps uh, in, a, in a turn later on. Um, but there are ways to f- generate more than one key per turn. It's just that by the rules, you can only do one default key per turn. Uh, and you need six ember to do it. So over the course of the entire game, uh, you'll need 18 ember. And that can change too. Uh, there are certainly cards that adjust the cost of a key uh, over throughout the game. So it's not a hard, fast rule. One of the things you will know, will learn quickly about this game is obviously if you played any other card games, the cards will often contradict the rule book in which the card will also will always be the de facto rule over the rule book. So with that, there are four card types in the game. There are creatures, actions, and artifacts, and upgrades. Well, I guess we'll start with creatures because they're going to be the primary card that you play uh, on a turn. Uh, and creatures are, are used... They're kind of the workhorse of, uh, of winning the game for the most part in most decks. Right. So creatures have two abilities that they can use. They're not... And we're going to have to use, as a preface, we're going to use ability interchangeably here. Uh, a little bit so you can exhaust creatures which is turning them sideways to either fight an enemy creature or reap which is generating one amber which you'll take from the pile you'll put it in your amber pile and then with that creatures may have some bolded text on there that'll say fight or reap fight abilities resolve when the creature fights another enemy creature and survives at the end and then once that has resolved the creature's ability will trigger usually it'll be like steal one amber or you know purge one creature from something that doesn't necessarily matter but effectively it's good to know that if a creature fights it has to survive at the end of fighting to have that fight ability trigger so they can still fight even if they don't have the bolded text fight and they can reap even if they don't have the bolded text reap it's just that when they fight when they reap if they have that bolded text there's an added benefit right right correct so with reaping there's it it, it's there's probably not a situation where this ever will happen but with reaping the creature does need to survive at the end of reaping (laughs) in order for the reap ability to trigger um i don't actually think there's an instance where that would happen i can't think of one off the top of my you know, head we're future proofing maybe there'll be maybe like a year from now there'll be more sets and someone will come back and listen to this episode and we won't sound like idiots for painting ourselves into a rule corner right <laughs> we'll sound like idiots for other reasons yeah <laughs> so there is another thing that you might run into on some creatures uh that will it'll be a bolded text that says action uh you can take an action by exhausting the creature and then resolving the action now that means it does not fight and it does not reap when it takes an action it is this is where we're going to use a term interchangeably from something else but actions you resolve that thing so there's one creature that when you exhaust it it steals one amber or when you exhaust it as the action it steals one amber it doesn't do anything else outside of that when we say exhaust, by the way, that's an in-game mechanic. Uh, whenever you exhaust anything, that just means rotate at 90 degrees so that instead of it being kind of vertically positioned from your perspective, the way you would normally like look at the card, uh, it's turned 90 degrees sideways. Right. So then one other small thing about creatures that uh, a lot of people run into is if a creature has a multiple of the same keyworded ability, it resolves 
all of those keyworded abilities. So if you have a creature that has two fight triggers, both fight triggers resolve. If a creature has two reap abilities or reap triggers, both reap triggers resolve. And then the same thing with actions. If it has multiple actions, when you take the action, it resolves all actions on that creature. Uh, so it's something worth knowing, like, if you're going to play a card on a creature and it's like, oh, well, I don't want to override this action ability that this creature already has. It doesn't do that. It just resolves them all, uh, which can make for some very fun shenanigans. <laughs> that, so this we're going to kind of tail into another card type while we're still talking about creatures here, and that's upgrades. So what upgrades do is when you play the upgrade, you target a creature with the upgrade, and then you slot that card behind that creature. Now that creature has whatever the upgrade says. Usually it'll be a new keyword, um, or it'll be some sort of kind of passive effect that applies to the creature. I know there's a Sanctum card that gives it plus one armor and taunt, uh, which we won't talk about what taunt is. It, it's not relevant relevant to what we're kind of getting into, but just know that there are a lot of things that you can you can modify your creatures with uh, through upgrades. Mm-hmm. And then the one last thing I wanted to talk about with creatures is steal versus capture. So a lot of creatures are going to have abilities that steal, and a lot of creatures are going to have abilities that capture amber. Ultimately, what the difference between those two mean is that if you steal an amber from an opponent, it goes to your amber pool. Uh, So if that, in doing so, if you have five amber, you steal one, you're now at six, and you will announce check to your opponent at the end of your turn because you can forge a key at the end. Where capturing changes things is... If you capture an amber, it gets placed on that creature. And then when that creature uh, is removed from the, the table, the amber goes to the opponent. So why that's why I'm clarifying that is if you, most of the time, you're always going to ca- capture on your own creatures. Uh, but capturing always comes from your opponent's amber pool. So there are certain cards in the game that will capture creature capture amber from their amber pool onto their own creatures. So if you remove those creatures from the game, that amber comes to you, not them. So that's that's one of the things that you want to keep in mind is that capturing amber is always going to go to the opponent when the creature is removed. That brings us to actions artifacts and mentioned it briefly before but also upgrades um these are cards that just kind of make things more interesting um artifacts are cards that come into play they stay in play unless something gets rid of them um they have actions and some of them may have passive effects uh so an action might be something that lets you um exhaust the artifact to fight with one of your creatures that you've already fought with a uh, passive effect might be that all keys your opponents try to forge cost an extra ember stuff like that um upgrades get slapped onto creatures like we talked about they make things a little more interesting maybe it makes a creature do a little extra damage maybe it gives it taunt um makes things more interesting for those actions are one and done cards you play the action uh, it goes to your discard pile and you resolve the ability um, actions can do all sorts of stuff from destroying creatures to destroying artifacts to giving you ember for no reason whatsoever to letting you forge a key outside of the normal key forging phase um, when it comes to any of these cards you resolve as much of the card as possible so let's say uh, you get a card that says deal three damage to two creatures and there's only one creature on the table well you just deal three damage to that one creature and you skip the rest of it. Let's say 
there's a creature under your opponent's control and a creature under your control. Well, you deal three damage to two creatures and there's two creatures. Sucks to be you. Maybe you should have thought a little bit more about how you wanted to play that card. <laughs> um, but one or the other, if you if you can't complete the entire card, you still do as much of it as you can. Um, another thing to note, uh, everything comes into play exhausted. Um, if you've played other card games, that's one thing that can kind of trip you up a little bit. I know it does for me all the time, uh, coming from a magic background. Um, in magic, the creatures do not come into play the equivalent of exhausted. Um, you have to use them first. And in Keyforge, it's tricky because I keep playing a creature and forgetting that I have to turn it sideways to show that it comes in exhausted. And it's very, very relevant. You, um, A lot of new players, I feel bad picking on them and be like, hey, you got to exhaust that. Hey, you got to exhaust that. Hey, you got to exhaust that. But it is really, really relevant, not only because it kind of lets your opponent know what's going to be coming at them, uh, but it also, um, there are cards that affect like what you can attack with and everything else. So if you play a creature and you don't exhaust it, and then you play something else that lets you, uh, I don't know, buff your creature, give it extra damage or something, you might be tempted to fight with that creature, even though you can't because it should have come in exhausted. So always remember to exhaust your stuff when it comes into play. Um, and that goes for creatures and artifacts. Um, upgrades don't come in exhausted because they go on the creature. Uh, actions don't come into play, so they can't come in exhausted. Oh, one thing I wanted to actually also kind of attach to what you're saying when we were talking about re- resolving as much of the card as you can, uh, Keyforge has a lot of what you would call symmetrical effects in it. Uh, very rarely do you encounter situations where it's only going to affect your opponent i mean not not to say that it doesn't exist it's just that it's probably good to get into your mind that if something affects your opponent it's going to say your opponent on the card if it says something like and and this is something i ran into when we we first started playing the game because i had a card called a titan mechanic it's a six power creature Keys cost one less to forge. And in reading that, I was like, oh, that means keys cost me five instead of six. And it's like, well, yes, it does. But it also means that for my opponent as well. Where you'll see the difference there is cards like Mermook, which is a three power creature that comes into play under... uh, This is an Untamed House card, by the way. And that one says your opponent's keys cost plus one to forge. So keep that in mind when you're also when you're when you're thinking about how you're playing your cards is how symmetrical effects are going to affect you versus your opponent. Uh, and another thing to think about too, when it comes into resolving as much of a card as possible, is when you're playing a card, look for the term may. Make sure when you play that card, it says may. Because there is one card out there I can't remember which one it is now. Uh it's a Brobnar card that when it comes into play, it stuns a creature. And it just says, play, stun a creature. So if you play that card, he has to stun himself. A Bumpsy, <laughs> I think. Is it Bumpsy? It might be. Like, now I'm trying to remember. It's, uh... There's I've I, there's a Sanctum card that does a similar thing, too. So Yeah, so oh, Lady Maxina, that's a good example. Lady Maxina, when she comes into play, she stuns a creature. If she does not have a creature to stun... She stuns herself. Yep. Uh, so just a oh, smash. That's who it is. It's not Bumpsy. It's smash. Uh, if you play that creature, they stun themselves. But there are other things like um, the Lost in the Woods. It says you may return up to two friendly creatures, and then 
you remove two enemy creatures. So you can you can kind of play around with that as well. So it's just something to keep in mind about how symmetrical effects and how resolve as much as you can kind of works in tandem with the game rules. One other thing to kind of keep in mind is uh, when it is not your turn, you are effectively the spectator. Uh, there is no interaction in this game like if you've played Magic before where you can do things at instant speed during your ter- opponent's turn, things like that. That doesn't exist here. Same with Hearthstone. Um, there's no traps. There's nothing that you can kind of put in play that's going to pop out and get your opponent on their turn. It's very much you do your thing, then they do their thing, which, I don't know, the way I say that makes it sound boring, but it's actually really refreshing. <laughs> it, it is. Uh, the thing that I... The, the reason why it's actually a, a good thing is because... You don't have to worry about what you're holding up. You don't have to, you know, it, or your, your decision making for what you're holding up is different. So it's like, well, what, how, you're mostly focusing on how do I set myself up for my next turn based on how my opponent is playing right now, and, as opposed to, well, I need to hold up this counter spell so I can counter whatever big play that they're going to drop on the table here. So that's just something to keep in mind. But having said that, this is something that, uh, I don't feel is very clear in the rule book, um, but I wanted to kind of call attention to it here in the terms of you being kind of the spectator on your opponent's turn is that all decisions for all cards are made by the active player. Uh, and we're not going to get into the ruling on this, especially seeing as they've errated it and don't worry about this part necessarily, but any card that says may at the time of it being played is up to the decision of the, the active player. So just keep that in mind. There's probably not going to be a whole lot of situations where you're going to run into this, but just know if a card says may, the active player always chooses what's going to happen. All right, so we've gone over a lot of the different things, the ins and outs of what the cards are and all that stuff. So how does this all come together into playing the game and taking your turn? Um, the turn is five phases long. It starts off with forging a key. Um, at the very beginning of any player's turn, the game, finger quotes here, uh, the game looks at how much ember is in their ember pool, and if they have six or more, uh, then it tries to forge a key. That's obviously altered by um, maybe if there's a card that increases the cost of a key, lowers the cost of a key, or someone can flat out play a card that says you can't forge a key on your forge step. Obviously that impacts this, but Assuming that there's nothing like that in play, you forge a key if you have six ember. It is mandatory. You cannot skip it. You cannot forget it. Um, If you did forget it, you forge that key, take away that ember. Uh, And hopefully it hasn't been that long through the game um, that you forgot whether or not you forged your key when you were supposed to. Um, So you don't get those feel-bads of like, oh, I forgot to forge my key. Oh, well, now it's too late. I guess you lose because I'm ahead of you. It's whatever. But you know what I mean. Um, Right. After forging a key, you choose the house that you'd like to play. Um, In this game, you, as we mentioned before in the deck construction uh, part, there's three houses per deck. You can only use one house per turn. So if you have a a deck that has Sanctum, Logos, and Shadows, you can choose one of those three to use during your turn. Now, when I say use during your turn, what I mean is you play cards, discard cards, and use cards in play only from that house. Um, So if you choose Logos, you can only use Logos creatures. You can only activate 
Logos artifacts. Uh, you can only play Logos actions and upgrades uh, and play further creatures and artifacts that are Logos. And if there are cards that are maybe dead in your hand and you want to get rid of them, um, we'll explain why in a moment. But uh, if you want to get rid of those cards because they're not doing you any good and you'd rather have something else, you can only discard Logos cards. So it's a very, very strategic, tactical uh, decision as far as what house you want to activate. Um, after you have, after you're done playing all of the cards you want to play, after you're done using all of your cards to fight, reap, do whatever, um, then you ready everything. As we mentioned, everything comes into play exhausted. Uh, and when you use something, like if you use a creature to fight, if you use a creature to reap, then that creature becomes exhausted as part of that process. Um, the fourth step of the game, after you're done playing everything, like I said, is readying all of those creatures. So at the end of the turn, they all get flipped back to vertical, you know, back to that original position that you'd play a card in. After you're done readying everything, you draw back up to six cards. Um, so if you have zero cards in your hand, you draw six. If you have three cards in your hand uh, left over at the end of your turn, you draw three more. That's where discarding is relevant, because you may have a card that's not really worthwhile in your hand. You're not going to use it in the next few turns. Well, why have it clog up your hand? Just discard it assuming it's part of the house that you declared, uh, and then you can replace it at the end of the turn, um, which gives you the chance of getting something that is useful um, more quickly. The other interesting thing about drawing at the end of your turn is I think it gives a little bit more time to make your decisions. A lot of other card games will have you draw a card at the beginning of your turn, but that means that you have your opponent's entire turn where you're not sure if the plan that you're thinking of doing is going to change because you're going to see a new card come the start of your turn. Um, and that can completely change what you want to do. Maybe it's the one card that can win you the game. And so you can't really strategize too well um, if you're drawing a card at the beginning of your turn. So I really like that they have you draw cards at the end of your turn because now you draw all of your cards and since it's kind of a passive experience during your opponent's turn. You're not actively doing anything. You can be sitting there looking at your cards and know that you're not going to have a tremendous amount of new information to play with come your turn. Um, you're not going to have a surprise popping up at you. Obviously, you still have to change your plans based on what your opponent is doing, but you can do that while they're playing and you don't have this surprise card that's going to be popping up at the beginning of your turn to change how everything goes. I think it actually speeds up gameplay um, a lot in that regard. Yeah, I'd agree with that, definitely. One thing I didn't mention, um, some cards will have the uh, give you the ability to archive a card, which basically means you put it out of play into an archive pile. The time that you can fetch the cards from your archive pile is after you choose your house for the turn. So you forge a key if relevant, you choose your house, and then you decide whether or not to take your archives into your hand. If you choose to do so, you take all of the cards in your archive. You can't pick and choose. Uh, if you choose not to take any cards from your archive, they just stay out of play, and you get that decision again the following turn. You get to decide every turn, as long as you have cards in your archive, whether or not you want to take any into your hand, which can be very, very useful. I've, I traditionally put board wipes into my archive because I want to wait until my opponent has a whole bunch of creatures. Then I want to pull that card out of my archive and take out all of their creatures. But in the meantime, it's not taking up a spot in my hand. It's not one of my six cards. Very, very useful. Right. And another thing I want to kind of add on to there too is with the on your third third step with the play draw or play discard or use cards. Just I just want to clarify that there is no particular order in which you do things. This isn't like right. uh, again I I will use magic as the the 
kind of comparison here because it's where most people get this knowledge from is like magic has you know there's the you know combat you know pre-combat you know announce def- attackers you know announce defenders combat you know or damage and then end combat that that doesn't happen here you can and the reason why i bring this up is because there's there's a a strategic element to how you fight or or do certain things during your turn there is cards that will reward you for fighting first so you want to play that card do all your fighting do all your reaping and then discard any cards you want uh or you can you know fight play this action reap with a creature play another action fight with another creature like you're not beholden to sticking to certain actions right you know doing certain actions before others like you you do them whenever you want yeah i mean maybe there's a creature that lets you shuffle your discard pile and your deck back together so you might want to discard at the start of your turn so those cards go back into your deck and you have a chance of drawing them again later on right or play them yeah beforehand yeah 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 that's true too um but that uh I mentioned our earlier example of maybe you have a card that deals three damage to two creatures. You might play that to deal three damage to one of their creatures while you have no creatures out. Then after it's resolved, you play your creature. And that way, haha, I had a creature the whole time, but I didn't have to hit my own creature because I didn't play it until after. Yeah, so I mean, I think that kind of sums up a good majority of of what we were... Yeah, for for better or for worse, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I hope the new players got something out of it. I hope, you know veterans got something i hope if nothing uh, else so, at least a laugh yeah <laughs> or like or you know a reason to correct us <laughs> so yeah so as we're kind of closing out here i wanted to actually give a shout out to uh the meek informant podcast uh they are a l5r uh, and for those who are not in the know uh that's legend of the five rings another fantasy flight game uh that has come out uh so if you you play key for or not key forge uh, if you play uh, L5R or you're interested in getting involved in L5R, I'd highly give them a listen. Uh, you can find them over at themeekinformant.podbean.com or if you just search for The Meek Informant in any of your little, any podcasting app that you're you're using, uh, you can certainly find them there. So yeah, so that, that they're super cool. And then other than that, Ryan, have you, so we, we've, I found, I'm going to totally fest this. I found these through a, a follower on our Twitter account. It's the Strategic Dino Tokens. Yeah, it's on uh, Etsy. Uh, their Etsy store is etsy.com slash shop slash strategic dino. D-I-N-O. I think if you search... Or you can just search for I think it. If you just, if, you just, if you just type in strategicdino.com, I think it, I think it resolves to his Etsy shop. Yeah. Uh, but if you're in the market for tokens dude this guy has knocked it out of the park specifically with his his keys like he has uv printed clear acrylic keys they're pretty and yeah they're so good they're so good uh did you see the new amber tokens that he posted up yeah they look really cool uh it's it, it's awesome so if you're in the market for for tokens i know we, we had a whole episode about tokens or not a whole episode but we did significantly discuss uh tokens but if you if you're in the market definitely check out uh strategic dino he makes good stuff for what it looks like a lot of fantasy flight games but yeah you know you're playing Keyforge. you you want it you want to get the, the sweet Keyforge tokens definitely definitely yeah so uh i think uh i think we're good you have a anything else you want to to mention there ryan uh no um i don't think so uh no i got nothing all right well uh you can find us at uh Obviously, Keyforge, uh, sorry, keychainspod.podbean.com 
or you can send us an email at keychainspod at gmail.com or find her over find us over on Twitter or Facebook at key for uh, sorry keychainspod or at keychainspod. God, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> Uh, also, if you check us out on Twitter, um, check out the people we're following. There's a lot of other content creators out there. Uh, you can give them a listen to and a quick way to find them is just through our Twitter. I've been trying to make it a point to um, follow any content creators that I uh, that I come across. Sweet. All right. Well, have a great one, everybody. Yeah. Take care, guys.